Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. So we're here with you today to discuss um, considerations for neoadjuvant versus adjuvant therapy for non-small cell lung cancer. It's a hot topic at the moment in medical oncology, surgical oncology, and pathology. And first, I'm going to go to Dr. Peters to to ask her for some some thoughts she has when thinking about neoadjuvant versus adjuvant. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, I guess it's that that the main concern we have, right, in terms of trying to understand if there is a biological and clinical outcome benefit by delivering neoadjuvant versus adjuvant. We are traditionally more used in a standard manner to administer adjuvant treatments, adjuvant chemo, now it's chemo IO. So are we going to switch all these patients to neoadjuvant? So I guess we have more and more data telling it's safe, and it might be in terms of magnitude, even more efficacious and active that we would have sought. But let's keep in mind also that in each of our country, we have a landscape of practicalities, right? Which might make the surgeon coming second being a different, difficult concept to introduce, right? So what I mean by that is I'm more and more encouraged to go to neoadjuvant because of compliance and some biological statements that we could cover in other episodes. But the other thing is how you can really implement it through a tumor board or sometimes without a tumor board being existing. Yeah, I think that's a great um, a sequence into talking with Dr. Spicer, a thoracic surgeon from Canada, on how he approaches neoadjuvant therapy as a surgeon, um, potential considerations around toxicity, delays to surgery, um, are they real considerations and immune-related events, and, and how you deal with that neoadjuvant period. John? Yeah, thanks, Oxford. So, um, I, I was already sort of bought into the concept of neoadjuvant chemotherapy for, for most patients who would have met indication for adjuvant based on their clinical staging. So this is, you know, size uh, more than four centimeters, stage classic a, AJC7, stage 1B to 3A. Um, so we are already in the mode for quite some time of giving preoperative standard chemotherapy even to stage 2A or 1B patients, although I, I realize that that's not a common approach uh, internationally. Part of the reason we, we had adopted that uh, view is that we had a very good transition to surgery. So the, the vast, vast majority of patients in our, in our center were, were making it to the operating room. And the uh, from a toxicity standpoint, there's data to support the notion that uh, the treatment is better tolerated when given preoperatively than, than postoperatively. And we know that only about 60% of patients in the best case scenario will, will actually get adjuvant chemo. So with, the, again, the idea of giving a full course of treatment to people that we know will, will benefit from uh, systemic therapy, that, that's sort of our bias to giving uh, preoperative. Now, the, I think it's important to understand that with that lens, Neoadjuvant therapy does have perhaps a tendency to overtreat some of these patients who might be cured by surgery alone and and maybe uh, poses some challenges that Dr. Cottrell could talk to us about with regards to getting the right biomarkers at the right time so that uh, we don't incur those delays in terms of patient treatment. Yeah, I think think that's a key point in terms of getting to treatment. We had data very recently here in the U.S. from the Alchemist trial, which was a large phase three trial enrolled fit patients who should have been eligible for adjuvant chemo. And even in that trial setting, only about 57% of them received any adjuvant platinum-based chemo. So 
again, uh, those are hard discussions. Probably the longest discussions we have in clinic are in terms of adjuvant therapy and uh, discussing with patients that you're treating a lot of people for small benefit, hopefully more benefit with uh, with chemo IO and IO, but still uh, tough discussions. Um, Dr. Cottrell, could you comment on on assessing pathological response after neoadjuvant therapy and, and some of the data we saw in Checkmate H16 and how that might be operationalized in your pathology lab, for example? Yes, I think um, we saw some really exciting data in Checkmate 816, and um, specifically, we assessed tumor regression or treatment effect um, in the tumors, and we found that that correlates with event-free survival, and hopefully, as the overall survival data matures, uh, we'll have great uh, evidence that this approach is going to um, be high value for patients. And I think I think there are two key uh, sort of added value points for pathologic response that make neoadjuvant therapy advantageous over adjuvant. One is that, uh, first of all, we get an early readout of whether or not this patient actually responds to this regimen. Um, and with adjuvant therapy, you have to sort of wait to see if the patient uh, recurs or metastasizes. And then you can actually use that information uh, to guide your adjuvant therapy approach. So if a patient's not responding uh, to your neoadjuvant immunotherapy plus chemotherapy, it may be worth considering an alternative approach in the adjuvant setting. So I think there's a lot of exciting and important work to be done in this space. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think... I think that pathologic readout is 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 very useful. Um, so in Checkmate H16, we saw that at about two years, if you had a pathologic complete response, which was no residual tumor at the time of resection, those patients had more than 90% event-free survival at two years, versus if you didn't have a pathologic complete response, it was down around 50%. And um, Dr. Peters, you could envisage scenarios, potentially how those patients might be addressed differently in the adjuvant setting, perhaps. Yeah, well, there's still a question mark for me in these trials because we observe what happens to subgroups of patients according to their quality of pathological response. It doesn't mean that you know what to do with them, right? We will see a series of trials coming very soon with what we call sandwich, a perioperative strategy where they receive neoadjuvant chemo IO and an additional almost one year of immunotherapy. So it doesn't mean that you haven't, if you haven't reached a pathological complete response or a major pathological response, that you don't extract benefit from a, for from a longer duration of I.O. That's another scientific question where you should randomize these patients with a certain degree of response to yes or no continuation. So we will observe, we'll try to compare, but still there might be a reason to continue I.O. even if you have not met a pathological complete response or an MPR, meaning that, uh, of course, stratum give you an idea of the prognosis and the chance of being relapse-free. But it doesn't mean that the intervention you do has no value in a poor prognosis setting, right? So I think there are many questions that we will have to answer for each of these categories of patients, which still will not be, we shouldn't shortcut, right? We shouldn't make decisions too fast because it might be that a patient with 50% pathological response, only 50%, might have an additional value of getting nine cycles of pembrolizumab, nivolumab, durvalumab, or whatever. And this will not be answered by clinical trials. Even if we would be disappointed, it doesn't mean that there's no value. So we have to be careful about it. We have to observe many trials and try later on, maybe in the academic setting, to ask the right questions about how long, how much, and to whom. But this will not be answered 
in an evidence-based manner by these trials. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think those are important points. We're seeing um, kind of a very rapidly evolving field where for 10 years we had no perioperative trials and now we have three and three large, four, I guess, three, I'm trying to remember, four large trials reported in the space of two years, um, if you can't, if you can't uh, count Adora. Um, John, just to get back a little bit to your kind of how you address these patients in the preoperative setting, are, are you concerned about surgery being delayed? Do you do anything in particular in terms of prehabilitation, which is the idea of improving patients' functional status for surgery? Um, how do you deal with a patient who's, who's actually receiving neoadjuvant chemo IO? Yeah, so these are great questions. Um, I think it's important to remember that 816 was was patients who are operable. So we, we, if we're going to approach patients for this debate, they have to be operable at a baseline. And, and that's what's going to translate to a good rate of, uh, of progress to surgery after neoadjuvant and, and minimize delays. We, we found that pairing the neoadjuvant therapy with a, a comprehensive prehabilitation program to mitigate medical comorbidities, um, to uh, make sure nutrition and exercise programs are paired with these treatments is, is quite helpful to make sure that they get to the operating room in the best condition possible. And that this seems to translate to, to good outcomes uh, post-operatively. Um, so that, that's very important. You know, the simple thing for me is that if they have clinically evident disease that merits systemic therapy, given the limitations in terms of our understanding around biomarkers, we tend to advocate for chemo IO, provided there's no ALK or EGFR mutation, but that all the advances that have been made in the adjuvant setting are extremely valuable to all the incidentally identified N1 and 2 patients who, who go for upfront resection or who have conditions that, that prevent systemic therapy, like um, a post-obstructive pneumonia. Maybe those patients are better off going directly to the operating room or, or a massive hemoptysis or chest wall invasion with a significant uh, pain that, that might not respond so well to, to uh, preoperative treatment. So that's sort of how we kind of contextualize those, those, uh, those scenarios. Perfect. Well, I think uh, that's been a good discussion. And um, we... We have several other episodes in this series where we address some of the other questions which arise around neoadjuvant and adjuvant therapy. And thank you all for joining us today. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.